to the Remarkable Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm Deidre Shen, founder and CEO of Capshow, software that helps entrepreneurs turn their stories into content that converts. Now, we believe that every entrepreneur who has had to overcome their own internal struggles is remarkable. And it is this exact remarkability that needs to be shared so that they can positively impact the world. So stick around to the end of the show. We will reveal how you can be our next guest in 20 or 25 minutes. So let's go. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Remarkable Entrepreneur Podcast. I have Stephen Nally here, who I am so, so pumped to be talking to. He is the founder of Blackfriar Advisors and the Blackfriar Hotel Group. I hope I got that right, because I know you do a lot of things. Yes, ma'am. Welcome, Stephen. Thanks for having me. Awesome, awesome. Okay, so I... You sound like you have an absolutely fascinating journey. We were just talking before I hit record on this about your time here in New York City. Um, and, you know, we were just having, and I'm just like looking, you've got a whole host, host of books behind you. So you're obviously a very accomplished writer. But can you start us from the very beginning of, I guess, your entrepreneurship journey and sort of what led you on this path that you're on right now? Sure. And I, I'll start with a, a crazy story. When I was in the fifth grade, I actually got suspended from school for selling candy. Uh, <laughs> back then, lunch was 25 cents. That's what lunch costs. My mother and father would give me a quarter every day and I would walk to school. The school was approximately almost a mile from my house. I would stop by the convenience store and you could buy candy for a penny each. Mm-hmm. So I would buy 25 pieces of candy and I would sell them for five cents each. And I'd essentially be sold out before school would even be would even begin. And then sooner or later, I kept taking that money and parlaying it, you know, to 50 cent to a dollar to two dollars to three dollars. There was actually one point that I was making, you know, twenty five, thirty dollars a week for a kid in the fifth grade. Uh, That was huge. And and I remember when I got caught because candy was illegal and I say illegal. You were supposed to have candy in school, number one, much less setting up an enterprise. And I remember meeting with the principal and my parents. And in one hand, uh, disappointment that I had, I had broken some rules. But on the other hand was, wow, like, how did you conceive this? So I would say my entrepreneurial journey began all the way back in the fifth grade. Uh, and I don't even know why that is. I, you know, I just have always been fascinated by creating something or building something and creating value. You know, I was always trying to think of in that short journey with the selling candy, I was always trying to provide value. Even the, even then I understood volume discounts. Like I had some people that would buy and resell, which is crazy. So they would buy from me. They'd use their 25 cent allowance to buy five pieces of candy from me and they'd sell it for a dime each, you know, and, and, and I started giving those people volume discounts. So instead of selling them for five cent, I'd sell for four cent because they were buying more. Uh, I don't know if I had watched a movie at some point that had illuminated some of that for me, or if it's just the way that my brain worked, mm-hmm. you know, flash forward to me, graduated from high school. I was, you know, in all truth, a below average student in high school in terms of grades, but not stupid by any imagination, uh, of the word, just, uh, always seemed to be preoccupied with other things, mm-hmm. uh, started many, many different ventures when I was in high school, I uh, started a landscaping company, which was a disaster. hundred uh, percent of every venture that I started failed. Right. They, they, they all failed. Uh, I was trying to be uh, 
I think the trying to grow something into something big uh, that just wasn't possible, but just refused to quit because quit wasn't in, you know, my nature. After graduating from high school, I went into the military. I served with the 10th Mountain Division. Uh, I was a light infantry commando. Uh, and I think that really set the stage for me as to what I wanted to do. So came out of the military, you know, with the GI Bill and Army College Fund, became an academic junkie, meaning I was, I was hooked on academics. You know, I got a bachelor's degree in healthcare administration. I got a master's degree in business administration. I got a doctorate degree in business administration and then went on to get a master's degree in biotechnology enterprise. I mean, I was just addicted uh, to academics. So how, did you, how did you go from below average in high school to addicted to academics? I, I found this thing in the military called discipline. And, and, and a lot of people, I talk about it in, in, in two of my books, a lot of people think the word discipline means you get in trouble. It's the reprimand for what you did. Discipline is the ability to sacrifice what it is we want right now for what it is that we truly want later. I, I think there was a disconnect for me in high school. I want to do what I want to do right now. You know, I chose sports. I chose social. Um, and I'm not saying I blew off my studies. I'm saying that somehow or another, I could cram for an exam in high school at midnight, from midnight to 1 a.m., and then somehow or another do just well enough to get a B or a C in that class. And it, yeah. it just became a habit for me because no one ever said to me in the town that I come from, because you didn't see, there was no such thing as an entrepreneur. There was no such thing as CEOs. There, there, it was a, I grew up in a small town that had a population of like 15,000 people. Like they're just, all these opportunities weren't there. So, you know, there was never really anywhere to go. But I think once I went into the military and understood what discipline and sacrifice was, when I came out, I had very, very lofty goals, you know, and I was willing to make sacrifices to get there. You know, and then the question became, how do I utilize all of this knowledge? Because the truth of the matter is, and anybody that's going to college knows this, uh, just because you go get a degree in civil engineering does not qualify you to be a civil engineer the day after you graduate from college. And I'll tell you another shocking thing for me. When I graduated with my doctorate, I really expected people to be waiting outside the auditorium at the grad lined up outside the graduation, offering me millions of dollars. But there wasn't anybody there. So the question becomes, OK, what do I do with this? So uh, and I'm not going to name any names. So I went and accepted a junior administrative position of a very large hospital. And I hated it. I had a lot of ideas. Now, granted, probably 80 percent of my ideas, you know, uh, were a no go because of different codes and OSHA and HIPAA and things of that nature. Uh, those were things that I had to learn. But I just really didn't feel like I could press my agenda. And I said, you know what? I need to control my own destiny. So I started my first company, which was an import-export uh, business out of China. Uh, mm -hmm. This is long before everybody got into the, what we call now the, uh, what do you call that drop shipping that everybody does through Amazon? Like that didn't exist. The internet didn't exist then. So I was buying artificial plants out of China and then selling them in the United States. And I mean, in a lot of cases, I was selling to malls treats artificial gigantic trees for three-story malls and stuff like that yeah. and uh i wasn't making any money i was making a lot of deals but i wasn't i wasn't making any money it was a lot of work um the biotech industry is where i actually learned mergers and acquisitions i learned to put together sales teams i learned to put together marketing protocols i learned to do training 
Uh, and that was a real, real eye opener for me because I'd never really built teams from nothing before. I mean, how do you evaluate, you know, a sales force and then put together a sales force based on need? I mean, I learned all of that. Mm. And then one day, fortunately, I met a billionaire in the real estate industry. And I took a look at that and I said, you know what? That's where I need to be. That's, that's where I take all of this knowledge, everything I learned, and that's where I make it happen. So that's where I'm at today. Right. So, yeah. So what was that first step? Um, and I'm assuming this is where the hotel, your hotel group started from. Absolutely. Um, I went to work for a company called Ocean Waters. Yeah. Um, these guys had amassed the second largest portfolio of oceanfront real estate in the United States. Uh, they were very savvy. Uh, they were experts at deal structuring, which during that time in the early 2000s, uh, debt was easy to come by, equity was easy to come by, but it was hard to get deals structured because there was serious competition for real estate. These guys were experts at structuring deals, mm-hmm. abnormal structures, meaning coming up ways to put things together. Uh, they were developers that were really ahead of their time. They were able to assemble uh, land portfolios to build larger things. Uh, and that just really intrigued me. And these two guys took me under the wing and essentially, you know, within 12 months taught me everything that they knew. Uh, I was like a sponge, you know, and then one of them retired, uh, senior partner retired. And then I joined forces with the junior partner and him and I became partners, but started a company called inner circle, picked up where we left off, built a whole new portfolio, Um, did that for about 13 years. Uh, and then comes COVID COVID hits in my opinion, March of 2020, which is when I felt it had 13 hotels, um, that were forced to close because COVID now the carrying cost of a hotel is enormous. If you can imagine. So at that point, you got a couple of choices, uh, either a feed it and hope that sometime in the near future, all of this takes care of itself, which no indications at that time mm. that there was going to be a fix to this problem, you know, within the next two years. Now, I know that they were talking about the vaccine was in the works then, yeah. but even I knew then, you know, just because people get vaccinated or don't get vaccinated, is that really going to change their travel habits? Uh, are cities or municipalities going to become comfortable again? you know, with reopening, I couldn't predict those things. So I cut a deal um, with the banks and we ended up selling those assets back to the banks that held uh, the debt. Now, the funny thing is, is the banks thought they were getting a great deal, which they did, right? It was a great deal for us because I didn't want to carry the real estate. I said, we didn't want to carry the real estate. Yeah. And then I sat around for about a week and said, all right, now what? (laughs) <laughs> because I'm not going to buy any hotels right now. Yeah. Well, now we go back to the work outside. So people started calling me and saying, hey, how did you do what you just did? Mm-hmm. Like, how, how does that work? So I started Blackbriar Advisors in March of 2020, specifically that purpose to walk banks and hotel owners through that process of working together to get a win-win deal for each, each side. You know, yeah. there are banks out there, investment banks that have the ability to land bank. They, they, they have deep pockets and can sit on real estate for five to 10 years. At some point, it's going to come back. You know, they may or may not want to do that. Yes. Uh, 
a lot of banks can't take write downs on their balance sheet. It would make them unstable, you know, and there are owners that are sitting out there that don't want to carry real estate into the unknown. So there was definitely a process that was utilized to work through all that. So in comes Blackbriar Advisors. That's what it became. It became me and my team utilizing our knowledge to assist others in navigating through um, what to do. And that's yeah. where we're at today. Now, you know, the funny thing is with the Blackbriar Hotel Group, we're not looking at hotel acquisitions, but not to operate as hotels. You know, if you do any reading, uh, 40% of all hotels are functionally obsolete right now. But what's another problem that we have? We have an affordable housing crisis like we've never seen before. Well, mm-hmm. micro apartments. If you want to build or develop apartments, it's going to cost you about $135,000 per room or per key to develop. However, right now you can buy a hotel for about $20,000 a key, throw another $15,000 in it to renovate it and convert it to micro apartments. You're all in at $35,000 a key. So we started conversions. We started looking to acquire hotels to convert them to either micro apartments or straight affordable housing, which fits the voucher program or Section 8 or the HUD regulations and have had huge success, at least from a consulting standpoint, you know, with different municipalities saying, hey, this is exactly what we need, you know, and also working with private investors to come into communities that have a need. Um, you know, to create more affordable housing. And I'll give you an example. And I'm, a, I'm not going to mention the municipality, but there is a municipality out there right now that has 43,000 families who have already received HUD vouchers, but there's no inventory. 43,000. That means if you built 43,000 apartment units, you're breaking even. So wow. private investment now is needed because HUD, HUD cannot even fix 10% of this with the funding that HUD has. So private people, private enterprise is going to have to get involved, you know, and we figure, all right, why not take the lead on that? Why not get out there and start putting those resources together? So we've been doing that as well. Wow. Wow. That is amazing. I love what you guys are doing. You're like incredibly giving. And the only, the other thing to that, well, what I was thinking there was like in how giving you are is that I completely mispronounce your name at the start your your business name I think I called it Black Friar and you just let that pass that's how giving you are it's all good you know what the, you, you know what's amazing my mother said to me at a very young age she always would say it you know if life gives you lemons make lemonade mm. you know and, and, and back then I thought what she meant was be thankful for what you got or you know don't cry because you get dealt a bad hand but, yeah. you know, years later, I now understand when COVID hit, I had two choices, go against the grain, which means continue to try to evolve my business the same way I did, you know, pre-COVID as if COVID didn't exist, which, you know, that's not going to work. Or yeah. life just gave me lemons. You know what I mean? I just need to go find some sugar and water now. And we're going to sell lemonade because lemonade is the hottest thing out there. So, you know. Being an entrepreneur, to me, that is the number one trait of an entrepreneur is finding where the opportunity is. Anybody can go out there and start a business. And I've got friends that call me all the time and say, hey, I got a business idea I want to run by you. And they will pitch me on a genius idea that they have. And I'll say, you know, that's been around for about 20 years, right? I mean, (laughs) this is not a new concept, you know? Entrepreneurs look for opportunities and spaces like what's going on right now 
Okay, where, where is there a need? What is my expertise? What value can I bring? What value can I create? And how do I capitalize that? How do I monetize that? That's what entrepreneurs do. So it was easy for me, not easy for me when COVID hit, that was a disaster, but it was easy for me to switch gears and say, all right, old business plan, not good anymore. It's not going to work. Okay, so now let me look at what's going on out there. You know, what are my skill sets? What services can I put together? And, and what do people need? And, and that was easy to switch that based on the life gives you lemons, make lemonade. Yeah. You know, don't go against the grade. So we've been making a lot of lemonade. That's what we've been doing. Yeah, I love that. And thank you for sharing that because obviously we have a lot of, all of our listeners are entrepreneurs. So I think that's a really, really great thing that you shared um, around how to think about things differently. Like you don't need to necessarily be, you know, the smartest person or that you have all of these amazing capabilities. You just need to shift this way of thinking, yes. look for those opportunities and, you know, as, like, and yeah, we have to make that work, but that is essentially what we do as entrepreneurs. Right. Um, so can you share with us? So since making this switch, uh, you've obviously been able to grow a successful business. Like how, how did you then do that? You know, going from something completely different that you were doing, you know, actually managing real estate to now advising on that. Um, how did you find your first clients? How did your business then grow from there? And what marketing strategies, if any, did you actually use to, to do that? Well, I, I, that's a loaded question because there are many, many different things come, come into that. In terms of client development, the very first thing I had to do was to go back to the people that I know, you know, go back to the old relationships, the existing relationships and say, hey, are you guys experiencing the same thing that I am? I think I may have found a solution that, that works for everybody. You know, hey, do you know anybody? And, and here's the thing. Uh, I know people that know people. And those people know people and those people know people. And we can agree that I don't care what technology comes out. Word of mouth is still the strongest uh, mm -hmm. form of uh, marketing advertising. I mean, what other people say about you, yeah. you know, and I like to say all the time, I met George Bush uh, many, many years back at a photo op. Okay. Uh, so I can say, I know the former president of the United States, but here's the thing. Does he know me? Would he remember me? And the answer is no. So it's not who you know, it's who knows you. That's what's important. Who knows you? You know, your podcast, you know, you have the word remarkable in it. Well, what is remarkable? Remarkable means people remember you. That's what it means. You're remarkable, right? Yeah. You've, you've made an imprint, right? Yes. So that was the first thing that I had to do. I had to create something which was fascinating and which people wanted to hear, whether or not they would sign a contract or become a client became secondary. That's called closing. That's later. But how do I get people to line up to take my calls? Because remember, during that time, no face-to-face. -face. Mm. We're doing everything over the telephone. Yeah. Uh, there was an article in which I was quoted in Forbes a couple of months back about the difficulty in raising money since COVID, you know, in which I talk in detail about this. But if you didn't have face-to-face -face relationships before COVID, it's 10 times harder to get them now. So the first thing I did was went back to existing clients, people that I knew and said, hey, what type of problems are you having? And I'm doing two things when I'm doing that. One, yes, I want to pitch them on a service. Two, I'm verifying that my understanding of everybody's problems is correct. And number three, I'm picking up knowledge about what's going on out there that I may not know about. And I'm also 
finding out who wants to buy distressed debt, which is very important. Because Mm -hmm. if you had a problem right now with one of your companies and you needed to sell, you absolutely needed to sell. That was your decision. Like, I'm going to keep these six afloat, but I got to get rid of this one. You know, and you called me. The first thing I got to figure out is who who's buying distressed debt in that industry or in that niche, right? Yeah. So as I'm talking to all of these pre-existing people that I knew, they're telling me, hey, you know, so-and-so is buying up debt, so-and-so. So now I'm able to put a seller and a buyer together. Yeah. You know, I'm able to repackage something, uh, restructure verbiage. Remember, I come from a background of two gentlemen who were great at deal structuring, mm-hmm. you know, and learn how to structure deals. So, so my first marketing was to the known, to the people that I knew, to the people that I had relationships with. Then I started cold calling. I call it 10 before 10. So I started calling every morning before 10 a.m., 10 people. I had never met a day in my life. I didn't know them. They didn't know me, you know. And I didn't come off like I was selling them. Uh, well, you're in the United States. So I don't know how many phone calls you get a day that you answer from an unknown number. And it's for affordable health care. Okay. <laughs> so people aren't exactly answering their phone with numbers they don't recognize. You yeah. know? So when I did get somebody on the phone, I didn't come off as if I was trying to sell them something. I pitched them on the possibility of them helping me with a problem. You know, I have a seller or I have a buyer. I have a client that I'm trying to help and we may be able to work together on this. So that's how I was marketing those services to the people that I, I, I didn't know, that I had never met before and was pretty successful at it. I met a lot of people uh, through that route. Did zero advertising, zero. Because quite frankly, just could not get to a point to figure out where to advertise to. Where, where do you advertise that at? Meaning trade journals. There are no trade shows anymore at this point, which is where you would go be a guest speaker back in the day at a trade show. And, and, and all of your prospective clients would be sitting right out there in front of you. They, they would line up to talk to you afterwards. Well, that didn't exist anymore. So no advertising, but a lot of marketing, which I was creating via word of mouth uh, and just talking to a lot of people and talking and talking and talking until finally people started calling me, which that I remember the day that that happened, I started getting phone calls and I'm saying, okay, so it's getting around now, you know? Yeah. Wow. And I can't imagine uh, that you have a very huge, you know, target client base, really like right. not, it's, you know, not everyone, like, can you actually, can you describe to us, I'm assuming people who own hotels or. Banks, hotels? banks that own paper that own the debt, of a hotel, right. hotel owners, yeah. uh, banks who want to acquire paper, uh, who are making a long bet that in five years, things will normalize and be better than what they were pre-2019. Um, you know, investment banks, and I'm not talking about your Wachovia's and your Wells Fargo's and your Bank of America's. I'm talking about pure investment banks make their money by placing bets. That's what they're doing. They're placing bets. They're placing bets that tomorrow will be better than today. It's no different than buying stock or buying crypto. You're hoping that the stock goes up or the price goes up, mm-hmm. except for these guys really, really know their industry. And they're saying, okay, COVID can't last forever. So how much are we going to have to feed this thing versus how much we're getting out of it? 
And I guess it's just finding those individuals that you know are taking those long-term bets versus the people that are saying, all right, we're going to keep our powder dry right now. We're going to yeah. sit here for a minute and we're going to wait to see what happens. But there were people early that were buying. I mean, I wouldn't have done it. But then again, this is when billionaires are made. When yes. you take these kind of risks and these kind of bets, and if you have that kind of money, then, you know, I, I guess why not? Yeah. You know? Plus, banks make their money, investment banks make their money with fees. If they don't put money out, yeah, they don't have money coming in. So they yeah. can't just sit there on a pile of money. So they have to create. And that's one of the things I think they liked about me. I brought them an out-of-the-box situation or solution in which they said, yeah, we can acquire under these circumstances, especially if we can get these deal points here. Yes. Or maybe come in and do a loan to own. So you come in and help an owner by giving them capital, whether the storm in exchange for some equity, but ultimately knowing that in five years that you're buying them out at a strike price, which has already been pre-negotiated. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's all about putting deals together in a creative manner in which everybody benefits, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Okay. I know that we are, I've, I've, I've taken so much of your time and it's been, this has been such a fascinating, I, I could talk to you probably all day, really. Um, but just a couple of questions. Um, is there anything that you're going to look to do differently in your marketing going forward um, to generate leads for your business? Anything, you know, that this year is going to bring for you? Yeah, as the industry changes or as society changes, as politics change, as COVID changes, obviously, we're always looking at different mechanisms, you know, to reach people. I think that marketing is fluid. Mm -hmm. I think that every single day we have to look at our return on investment with our marketing dollars. I'm a 10 to 1 guy. I don't even know if that applies anymore. I've been a 10 to 1. Every dollar that I spend, I'm looking to get $10 back off of those marketing programs. And I know that you know all the statistics that typically mail out marketing, I think you get a 3% you know, return on everything that you send out. Uh, at least that used to be back in the day prior to having all these avenues like LinkedIn and Facebook and, and all of those factors. But uh, I'm evolving. I mean, I would love to be able to teach a class on marketing. I just don't think I'm the guy to do it, but I am the guy's guy with my eyes wide open that's mm -hmm. always looking for a way to keep evolving. I'm looking at the customers that I haven't reached yet and trying to figure out how do I market to them? How do I reach them? I mean, COVID changed everything. I, I, I could ask you a personal question and say, when you go to your mailbox, you know, how much of that stuff do you actually read? When you go to your email, all that unsolicited stuff you're getting, how much of that stuff do you really, really, really read? Mm. And for me, the answer is none. Mm. The answer is none. I get 350 emails a day. I guarantee 150 of them are from people I don't know that are soliciting me. I'll read the first two sentences and I'm done with it. I mean, yeah. you, can't, you can't reach me that way. You know, you have to you have to get to me through somebody else that I know. I mean, somebody's got to vouch for you. Somebody's got to say, hey, Stephen, you really need to talk to John. Here's what John's doing. And mm -hmm. here's how that'll benefit you. you. You can't just solicit me unknowingly because we're inundated right now since COVID with more and more, you know, I call it flash marketing, just emails coming in, phones ringing. Since I've been on the phone with you, I've probably received 10 phone calls. I guarantee you all 10 of them or something I don't want, something I don't need, somebody I don't know. Uh, so I'm looking to figure out how do I reach everyone in the universe 
with a with a message which is a compelling message and which is an interesting message in which they will listen to mm-hmm. and then decide for themselves whether or not they could benefit from a relationship um, with me. Yeah. You know? And I don't know how to do that yet. Meaning I, I haven't I haven't hit that magic solution yet where everything seems to be clicking on all cylinders. And I'm not sure that anybody has maximized their marketing efforts since COVID. But my advice would be you have to keep evolving. Every day when you wake up, you have to ask yourself, what can I do today, Mm. you know, to access more frequency and reach, to access more customers, to provide more value? You have to constantly be evolving. And you know what? that really was the methodology before COVID too. Yeah. You know, how, how do I get value out there? And, and, yeah. and a lot of times maybe you're getting frequency and reach, but your message is off. You know, yeah. you have to have a compelling message. I mean, if you're reaching out to non, if I was reaching out to non-hotel owners, non-investment banks, pitching them on resolution services or creative deal structuring, you could imagine how that first 30 seconds of that call would be like, (laughs) but we sell newspapers, man. Like, why are you calling us? You know? So you, you, you have to, you have to know what your target market is and that's, that's where you can stay. Does that make sense? Yeah, it definitely, definitely does. So then tell us a little bit about your, your book. Um, Cause I'd like, I'd like for you to to promote it as well on this podcast. Um, But, who is it? Who is it for? And you know what can people get from reading it? Well, short story. There's two out right now, and another one that's in publishing right now that'll come out next month. The, my first book was Relentless Pursuit: The Foundation and Principles of Success, which is basically the blueprint that I wrote when I came out of the military to assimilate the civilian life. Like here are the 17 foundations and principles I need to adhere to to be successful. And then over the years, it just, I expanded on it more and more and more until it became a book. Uh, I don't think that anyone who is already successful is going to read this book and go, oh my God, I did not know that. It's mm. pretty basic. Matter of fact, I think I say that in the introduction. If you're looking to the, for the secret, man, this stuff's been around since Sun Tzu, The Art of War. There's nothing new that I'm talking about. There's nothing which is earth shattering. You know, I just say it in a manner in which people can understand. My second book, which is The Foundation and Principles of Mental Toughness, really gets into mentality. And I kept that book short. Originally, that book was 274 pages. I cut that all the way down to 78 pages uh, because I felt like I wanted it to be a quick read. Um, And I was actually asked to write that book by many different people. Uh, because of the struggles of COVID, meaning, you know, a lot of people think that mental toughness is this, 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 this hardness, this grit, but really what it is, is this ability to find fuel in an empty tank. I mean, how do you persevere? How do you have resilience? How do you keep moving forward, even though life is knocking you down? Well, it's easy because you have no other choice. So it's either succumb and quit, which is not an option, or find a way or create a way. That's what mental toughness is, you know? So that was the second book. The third book, which will come out next month, is called Lead from the Front. And it's essentially a 13-chapter book on leadership. You can find all of these books pretty much anywhere. Barnes & Noble, uh, Book Nook, Amazon. Uh, they're all over the place. Matter of fact, uh, Foundation and Principles of Success right now is number two on the Barnes & Noble print bestseller list. And 
Uh, Foundation of Principles of Mental Toughness right now is ranked number four on the bestsellers list uh, for print on Barnes and Noble. So we're doing really well there. Yeah, amazing. And um, is there anywhere in particular that you would want your our listeners to go to go to if they if they want to find out more about you, what you do, your sure. book? You can go to Stephen Nally. That's S T P H E N StephenNally.com. Uh, anything you want to know about me is there. Uh, you can go check out uh, any of my companies at BlackbriarUS.com. Uh, there's a wealth of information there, or you can just Google my name. I'm pretty sure I'll come up. So um, <laughs> believe it or not, I return 100% of the emails that I receive with people inquiring either about my business or inquiring about knowledge, my books, internships. I respond to 100% of the emails that I receive, which you can contact wow. me through my website. Um, and that's something that I enjoy. Yeah, amazing. Well, everyone, you know where to go. Stephen is just a wealth of knowledge. You could already tell from this very short conversation that he is a such a giving person, but also what he gives is incredibly valuable. So I would definitely, definitely encourage everyone to go check that out. And we'll put those links in the show notes as well. Thank you so much, Stephen, for joining us on the Remarkable Entrepreneur podcast. It's such a, it was such a pleasure to talk to you. Um, and for all of our listeners, I'm sure you loved this episode. So please leave us a review, a rating, subscribe, share it with your friends, um, take a screenshot and share it in your socials. Tag me, tag Stephen. We would love to, um, yeah, to, to share share with you this 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 experience. Uh, and we will talk to you later. Bye. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Remarkable Entrepreneur Podcast. Now, if you are a successful online entrepreneur who would like to be on this program, then please visit go.theremarkableentrepreneurpodcast.com slash podcast dash guest. If you got something out of this interview, would you please share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials and tag me. I'm at Deidre Shen. And if you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them on social media as well and let them know about the show. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. Now, we are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure that you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, reviews go a long, long way to help promote the show. And it means a lot to me and my team. And if you want to know more, go to our website, djshen.com. Follow me on LinkedIn, on Facebook. My Facebook group is actually called The Remarkable Entrepreneur. Uh, follow me on Instagram at Deidre Shen. Thanks so much for listening and we will see you next time.